Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today's Monday, March 22nd. Tech stocks are finally up, U.S. existing home sales are down, and we're focused on a particularly stubborn sort of student debt. The Goldilocks economy. That's a phrase often used by economists and talking heads to describe when things are pretty much in balance. Not too hot, not too cold. But Goldilocks is also used as an adjective by science journalist Molly Webster to describe her student loans. Not quite federal, not quite private. And unlike with the economy, having loans in this middle ground is exactly what you don't want to have. Let me explain. Last year's CARES Act, passed in April, automatically suspended principal and interest payments on federally held student loans. The idea was to remove a major financial burden in the midst of the pandemic, and it benefited millions of borrowers, giving many of them their first and best shot at getting ahead of their debts. But for Webster and around 6 million people like her, it didn't apply. That's because her federal loans were provided on behalf of the federal government, but by private banks. So federal loans privately held. It's a dichotomy the feds did away with in 2010 in the aftermath of the financial crisis, and the government did actually buy back some of those privately held loans. But lots of them fell through the cracks, and those loans didn't get the CARES Act reprieve. Why it matters is this thing is creating new inequalities, because Congress left a loophole. So we want to dig in deeper with Molly Webster, who wrote about her experience yesterday in the New York Times, including what could and should be done next. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Molly Webster, senior correspondent with WNYC's Radio Lab. So, Molly, let's just start kind of with numbers. How do you get into kind of perpetual student debt? <laughs> there, there are many, many ways you can get into perpetual student debt. One, you take out the student loans to begin with. Then it depends on the interest rate that is attached to those loans. It depends on um, if you can pay the monthly payments every month. It depends on if you have graduated income repayment options or if you have to go into forbearance, which means your principal gets bigger and bigger as your interest is added to it. So when I left undergrad and grad school, I had about $78,000 in student loans. And then I use the economic deferment that you can use as you're sort of getting out into your career field to get money. So you get about three years where you can defer the loans and you don't have to pay them back and you get no penalty or interest like that accrues. And then I got to the point where I started paying them back and I just couldn't afford to pay back all of the different loans. So I had loans that had interest rates as low as 2%, somewhere all the way up to 8.5%. They're all federal loans. But I got to the point where the monthly payments on all the individual loans and students can come out of undergrad and grad school with a lot of separate loans. So I had 16 total. And it got to the point where I couldn't do all the individual payments and there weren't enough repayment plan options that would work with the income level that I had and with the amount of other loan repayments that I was undergoing. And so I got caught in a cycle of forbearance, which is when you don't pay your monthly payment and you're not penalized for that, but the interest that you accrue every month is added into your principal and it goes up and up and up. And then that actually drives your monthly payments higher. And then the other thing that happened is I have a batch of student loans that are federal loans that underwent a change since I've 
first took them out, and they often don't qualify for federal protections, such as the current CARES Act that we're all under. So can I let, let me let me ask about that. So so you take out these loans, you know, more than a decade ago at this point, and then something changes in between. Yeah. So the loans that I took out were are called FEFL loans. They're federal family education loans. And they're this uh, loan that only existed for about a 25-year period in which you could get a federal loan. But instead of getting the federal loan from the federal government, you would get a federal loan from a private bank. And it was backed by the federal government. And so normally what happens in the federal loan business is you get your federal loan from the federal government. And so there's a batch of us, there's like $6 million or or more who had federal loans that were given by private banks. And then in 2010, when President Obama moved with the public loan forgiveness program, they decided also that in the future, federal loans would only be given by the federal government, not by private banks. And for all of us that had these weird loans that were both federal and private in a way, some of those loans the federal government bought back Others, they left with the commercial lenders. And so there's about 6 million of us in the country whose loans got left with the commercial lenders but are still stamped federal. And we'll get into the CARES Act piece and what it did and didn't do in a second. I'm just curious, when you originally take out the loans, and, and they are this situation, federal loans, but which are actually provided by private lenders, do you take those loans out because that's what's offered and you don't think much of where it's coming from so long as you just look at the rates and the numbers? Or, or did you think you were getting a particularly good sort of loan at the time. Well, you do think you're getting a particularly good sort of loan. At least that's what I was told. I, I, I was told as I was moving into the education system of college and grad school that federal loans um, came with better interest rates, that federal loans had better repayment options, that federal loans had the protections of the federal government, that there might be future public loan forgiveness programs. And so um, while at some level you understand, oh, I'm getting a loan and I'm signing this with a with a bank, it's like, oh, the the government must have made some agreement with the bank that per, that works for me, that that protects me, um, and uh, that is not the case anymore. The CARES Act passed early last year. I assume at some point you see a headline or you hear on the radio or something that there is going to be some sort of student loan kind of principal and interest suspension. You probably get very excited. What's your oh shit moment? <laughs> My oh shit moment was in April of last year, I had seen the headlines that interest uh, payments would be paused, that monthly payments would be paused. You could only pay if you needed to or wanted to. And so I was very excited by the prospect of actually taking all the money I was sinking into interest and putting it towards my principal of continuing to pay, but actually paying down the bulk of my loans. And my oh shit moment was... Uh, logging onto my account, which I now have with Navient, but logging onto that account and um, seeing that a monthly payment was still due, which felt confusing, and then that monthly payment getting deducted from my account and uh, not making the principal budge and just going towards interest. And so you start doing research. And as you say, there's this kind of group of around 6 million people who are stuck. You refer to it as kind of in this Goldilocks situation. Yeah. From what you've learned so far, you're a journalist. Was this an oversight or was this an intentional decision to leave these sorts of loans out? That is an interesting question and one I still don't have an answer to um, because there was a, a moment in time 
where these loans just have never really been publicly talked about. <laughs> so, and, and by these loans, I mean these Goldilocks loans, these ones that I'm saying are like federal in all of their trappings, but feel private in the way they're actually dealt with. And so the, the, as far as I know, I had not seen anything about this specific type of loan. And people always break the, the loan system, the student loan system down into federal loans or private loans. No one ever mentions, well, there's actually two types of federal loans. There's the federal loans that the federal government owns. And then there's the federal loans that commercial lenders own. Like that's that's not in like student loan 101. And it would seem, and tell me I'm wrong about this, you'd probably know this much better than me, you, you keep hearing about, not the CARES Act, but this idea that President Biden might forgive a certain amount of student debt just potentially with a stroke of his pen. It would sound like if he were to do that, that still might not help you because of the sorts of loans you have. I don't think he can eliminate private lender loans with the stroke of his pen. It would have to be government ones. Well, it's interesting because... They're technically government ones. They are, even though they're held by commercial banks. But your point is true that right now what we're seeing is that loan forgiveness that happened for, of federal loans would be in lockstep with the Trump era and the Obama era, which does not include this batch of Goldilocks loans that got sort of gently given to commercial lenders, even though they're still federal. Uh, final question for you. Uh, you published this op-ed in the New York Times, which is read by lots of decision makers, et cetera, on Capitol Hill. Have you gotten any reach out from anybody with any position of power about your piece yet? I've heard murmurings that there may be reaching outs. <laughs> and, um, you know, we've had it's had really good publicity, like um, Elizabeth Warren retweeted it the other day. It's gotten some good reach. So I have the sense that people are reading it. We'll just see what happens. Molly Webster, senior correspondent with Radiolab from WNYC. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, for sure. Thank you so much, too. Welcome back. What we're watching today is AstraZeneca, which announced data from its U.S. Phase 3 clinical trials for the vaccine it developed in partnership with the University of Oxford. Four things to know. First, the British drug maker said its vaccine was 79% effective at preventing COVID-19 symptoms and 100% effective against severe disease or hospitalization. Two, this is a single-shot dose and can be kept at much warmer temperatures than the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines. That said, its price point remains closer to Pfizer and Moderna than to the much lower-priced Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Three, this vaccine already got World Health Organization approval and is being used in dozens of countries. The U.S. holdup mostly related to inconsistent dosing during initial trials. Expect AstraZeneca to file to the FDA for emergency use authorization in the next couple of weeks, and if approved, it could become the fourth COVID-19 vaccine to be distributed in the U.S., or maybe the fifth, given that Novavax already has an approval process underway. And finally, you may have heard last week that numerous European countries suspended use of the AstraZeneca vaccine following reports that some patients experienced blood clots. Those decisions have mostly been reversed, and the U.S. data released today showed no increased risk of blood clots. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. It's my producers, Tim Shovers, Naomi Shaven, and Alex Sugiora. Have a great National Bavarian Crepes Day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap. Recap.